0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. We begin a new series today. It's a study of the book of 1st. Thessalonians. And during this summer, 11 Sundays, we will be going paragraph by paragraph through the five chapters of this book. So I need to give you a little bit of the backstory of Thessalonica. The city of Thessaloniki was a thriving city on a major Roman highway, the Via Ignacia. this was a major road that went from Rome over to Turkey and into the east. Thessalonica was a capital city of the province of Macedonia. It had a statue and a temple of Caesar Augustus, and emperor worship had already started occurring in the city by the time Paul visited this city on his second missionary journey. And there is another important aspect about this city that we need to take note of. It was a free city. It did not have Roman military occupation. It had its own government, controlled their own affairs, minted their own coins. But if problems arose, of course, the Roman government could easily come in and take all of those freedoms away. And in fact, that actually did happen under Emperor Tiberius. But their privileges had been returned to them in A.D. 44 by the Emperor Claudius. Now that is only six years before the time Paul visited this church in A.D. 49 or 50. In the book of Acts chapter 17 we have more of the history of how Paul came to this city. He had been kicked out of Philippi. He had been arrested because he had thrown this demon out of a young slave girl who could foretell the future and her owner therefore lost his income and he brought charges against Paul, and he was thrown into prison, but God delivered him through an earthquake. He was beaten. The uh, jailer was converted, and then he was beaten and kicked out of town. And then he came to Thessalonica. Now notice in Thessalonica what the Jews C- accused him of there. His popularity had grown so fast that it was now in competition with the major Jewish synagogue of Thessalonica. And it says in Luke seven, or Acts 17, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. He was one of the believers, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Well, the city authorities took that very seriously, and they were not about to dismiss the charges. And so in verse 8, it says, the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Thus, Jason and the other Christians who were brought before the authorities had to pay a bond so that Paul could not return to this city for at least one year. The tensions in the city were high, especially against someone who would challenge the authority of Caesar. They had lost their free status before and now every someone is acting against Caesar's decrees and saying there is another king. And there is not only this tension that remained in the city of Thessalonica but Paul now has to leave them but he had only been there for 3 weeks. And he had not been able to instruct them and teach them in their new Christian faith. And so Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy were forced to flee the city after less than a month of teaching in this young church. Paul was very concerned about the spiritual health of these new believers, but he couldn't return to the city. So Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how they were doing and bring him back a report. And we'll see more of that in later studies in this book. But while Timothy, while he was waiting for Timothy to return to him, Paul went on down to Athens, and then he went over to Corinth. And it was in Corinth that Timothy finally caught up with him and gave him his report. Immediately, Paul writes this first letter to the Thessalonian church, and it's based on this report that he had, written, he had received from Timothy. By the way, this is the first letter that Paul wrote to any church in the New Testament. The church in Thessalonica, as you can see, was started, founded, in an atmosphere of hostility and even violent opposition. After only three weeks of proclaiming the gospel in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas and Timothy had to flee in the dark of night because of the opposition of the Jewish leaders of that city. Yet, this young church survived and even thrived in this kind of hostile environment. And I think that is why the study of this book is so important for us today in the 21st century. Have you noticed that in our American culture, it's not so friendly anymore to the Christian faith? On many fronts, the Christian faith is opposed and even ridiculed. George Yancey is a sociologist at Baylor University, and in his book, So Many Christians, So Few Lions*, he says that we are clearly living in a post-Christian society where Christian faith is no longer automatically respected. In fact, his research shows that 32% That's about a third of all Americans feel some level of animosity towards conservative Christians. And so as Christians living in this hostile, growing hostile environment, we should be asking ourselves, how should we then live in the midst of this hostility? And I think that's why this book is so important for us today, because it gives us some wise and practical advice on how to thrive in a hostile environment. This study of the five chapters of Thessalonians will emphasize for us how to live blameless in holiness and confident in hope in the midst of hostility. That's the theme that we'll see throughout this series. Now, in order to help us dig deeper into the message of 1 Thessalonians, we have prepared a study guide booklet for each of you during these 11 weeks of our study. And I hope that you received a copy of this as you came in today. If you didn't get it, you can get one at the welcome desk on your way out. We have one, a copy for every one of you. And we hope that you will take this. It was prepared by the students in the training training module that I taught this last trimester on how to interpret the Bible and each member of this class prepared questions on, how, on their assigned test. And they have prepared those, and you'll find those in the study booklet. Each page has the text and their questions, and then it has room where you can take notes during the sermon each Sunday. So I hope that you'll get this book, and you'll take 30 minutes to an hour, maybe on a Saturday, we'll call it the Saturday Soak, and that you will prepare yourself going through those questions, and then come prepared the next Sunday for the next study in this book. I really want to thank the members of the class who so carefully worked on preparing this study guide for you. Let me even mention their names. Scott and Connie Kramer, Alan Lee Larson, Phil and Candace Donaldson, Tammy McEntee and Rock Dion, Chris Lukes, Rex and Jolene Steffen, Ross and Sherry Ridgeway, and Christine Van Pelt. And I want to thank them for that. Be sure you get your copy. Now we begin with the first paragraph of chapter one. Paul with Sylvanus and Timothy greet the church of Thessalonians, who are in God the Father, and in Jesus Christ. And Paul thanks God for them, mentioning them by name in his prayers. And he prays because he remembers the quality of their new life in Christ. Specifically, Paul thanks God for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfast hope in Christ. Now, these are three essential qualities of the Christian life. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are, give a very comprehensive view, if you will, of Christianity. So much so that even John Calvin said, and commenting on this, that they give a brief definition of true Christianity. And by focusing on these essential qualities of the Christian life, Paul is taking measure of the spiritual health of the disciples in Thessalonica. How do you take the measure of a church? Let me just take a little bit to show you how we here at LifePoint measure the spiritual status of our church. It begins with our mission, LifePoint, exists to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. That's what we focus on. That's where we're going. That's what we're driving for. We seek to glorify God by making disciples. We need to have that clearly in mind. Now we have strategies in place to move us forward in achieving this goal. We are reaching out to our neighbors and to the world, inviting people to become disciples of Christ. We have life groups. We've talked about them, training modules. We have ministries for men and women and youth and children. We engage in meaningful worship and prayer with hymns of praise and thanksgiving. We care for those in prison, shut-ins, widows, and those who are hurting in many ways. We mentor qualified people to become leaders of the church and its ministries. We have ministries like VBS we heard about. We have a new coffee bar in the foyer. We have sharing the love. We have a prayer list of more than 86 people praying for you. But these are all programs and projects that help move us toward our goal. And it must be very clear to us this morning that these are just means to the end. They are not the goal. The goal of our mission and strategies is gospel-driven disciples of Jesus Christ who become more and more like him in their life. So how do we take the measure of our church? Disciples are apprentices of Jesus. And they're doing three things, as we can see. They are learning how to think like Jesus, and how to act like Jesus, and how to become like Jesus. Therefore, our church must be measured by the quality of the disciples we are making. Healthy disciples grow in these three areas. They think like Jesus, they act like Jesus, and they become like Jesus. Their lives are transformed into the likeness of Christ for the glory of God. What I want you to see this morning is how closely those three qualities that we use to measure disciples, sync up very closely with the three measures that Paul has mentioned here in 1 Thessalonians verse 3. These are the qualities that Paul remembered about the Thessalonians when he prayed and thanked God for them. He remembered their work of faith, and that requires thinking and living like Jesus. He remembered their labor of love, which is acting like Jesus. He mentions their perseverance in hope, which motivates us to change, to become like Jesus. Now, you can go online, if you'd like, to our website, and you can get more information and see key questions to follow up on these three areas. Take them seriously. There are questions there that will help you think about how do you measure up in these areas of your life? So let's take just a moment and look at these three areas. The work of faith. It begins with faith. What we believe by faith determines how we live and work. We live and work according to what we really believe is true. And Paul is talking about work produced by faith in our Christian life. It starts with faith in Christ as our Savior. Now when we repent and return from our selfish ways, and trust God for forgiveness and eternal life. We are born again by the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us and we become children of God. And when we have this kind of faith, it changes the way we live. This kind of true faith will necessarily work itself out in the way we live for Christ and work in his kingdom. And I say necessarily because faith that does not work itself out in the way we live is not true faith. If it doesn't change how you live, then it's not real faith. True faith works. It shows in the way we live. But Paul is going deeper when he talks about the work of faith. In the second letter to Thessalonians chapter one, he mentions this same phrase, the work of faith. He says, therefore we also pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in turn, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says here, the work of faith is done by the power of God in you. Now to him who is able to exceedingly, and abundant and all that we ask or think according to what? The power that works in us. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. Colossians chapter one. You see, works of faith are the things we do for him by his power that is working in us. So that it is no longer our works, but his works through us. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me." You see, the work of faith is what you do only, and only what you can do with the power of God in you. That's why Paul said in Philippians, work out your own salvation, for it is the Spirit who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So how does this work of faith sync up with thinking like Jesus? Well, how did Jesus think about his work? He said in John chapter five, verily, this is the words of Jesus, verily, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. We can do the work produced by faith when we think like Jesus when we realize that without him we can do nothing. We can work out our Christian life only because the Holy Spirit is working in us to do do his will and plan his will. The work of faith is possible only by the power of the Spirit that works in us. I think you remember the testimony of Debbie Franken and Bobby Johan on Good Friday. And they both shared with us how the power of God in their life enabled them to do things that they could never have done on their own. Debbie told us how she was able to forgive her father for his abuse and his neglect, and she was able to finally do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Bobby shared with us how the power of drugs and addiction had enslaved him, but now he was free because of the power of God in his life. So my question, how much of what you do each day is work that you can do only with the power of God? Or are you trying to live the Christian life in your own strength, and wisdom. Put your whole life into his hands and let him work in you with his power to do his good pleasure. The second characteristic that Paul mentions is a labor of love. Love is vital in our working for the Lord. Recall what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in the first letter, chapter 13. One could have faith and knowledge and prophetic powers and give away all all he has, but if love is lacking, then it, it matters not at all. It gains nothing. Our labor must come from love. Genuine love goes the distance. It sacrifices, it acts, even when you are weary and exhausted. Paul praised the Thessalonians because their love is seen in the work they were doing. And we see this, he points it out even in chapter two or chapter four of this book, he says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So he's already commending and recommending them because of their labor of love. Now labor is not like the work. The labor here he's talking about is exhausting exertion. It's working until you just can't do any more. Until the sweat breaks out on your brow. True love works for another person. Love is giving of yourself to one another. We don't work because we have to. It's not some task on a task list. It's not something we do because it's our duty or our job. We love God, and therefore we love each other. Love drives our work. That's why 1 John says, dear brothers, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. That's how Jesus acts. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Philippians chapter two puts it this way, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So therefore, we need to act like Jesus, who gave himself for us. Labor to exhaustion, sacrificially, in love for others, because of God's love in you. So my question, out of love for God, how have you invested in the life of someone else this week? Out of love for God, how have you invested in the life of someone else this week? Finally, steadfast, in hope, hope in Christ. Hope is the confident expectation that the future is in God's hands and that he will do what he says. Our hope is what makes us steadfast in the midst of hostility in our world today. Our hope is what gives us confidence. Hope is what makes us unshakable when people are opposed or ridicule us. Hope is focused on the future, on eternity. And eternity is clearly in view in this book of Thessalonians. This hope in the future, in the return of Christ, is fuel for our work and for our steadfastness. And I want you to see how this hope in Christ And his return in the future should change how we live for him today. First John chapter 3 puts it like this, very clear. We know that when he, Christ, appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Now when we know that our personal future is wholly bound up in Christ, we strive to make holiness a habit of our life now. That is, a healthy disciple Is one that is becoming like Jesus and who displays the virtues of Christ in his life he puts off the selfish sins of the flesh and he puts on the fruit of the Spirit which is love and joy and peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control hope Jesus changes us. Why? Because, someday, we will be like Jesus. Every one of you today who have accepted him as your Savior, I can give you this promise, someday you will be like Jesus. Does that grab you? Does that change you? He's coming soon. And when I catch a vision for who he has in mind for me in my future, I want to begin to live that life now. (laughs) As one theologian observed, when we think of an older, physically diminished person, we might say they are just a shadow of their former self. But when somebody belongs to Christ, we should say they are just a shadow of their future self. If you can envision your future, this glorious person that you will become when you see him, you begin to move in that direction now, becoming that person now, beginning to take on the image of Christ in your life, in your daily life, now. Healthy disciples live with steadfast hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. But as most people know, this world lives for this life alone. But we, God is telling us here, that we need to realize that this life is just a preparation for our real life to come. This life is not our destination. This life is a preparation for life to come. And when we treat this life as if this is all there is, then we will lose our sense of destiny. We will lose our faith, we'll lose our love, we'll lose our hope, and we become dissatisfied and disappointed. And so I ask you this question. How are you preparing yourself right now for that great face-to-face meeting with Jesus? What sinful habits are you killing off in your life today? What fruits of the Spirit are you developing in your life today? How are you becoming like Jesus? Because you will see him face to face soon, and you will become like him. So I encourage you, draw close to him now. Abide in him daily, and he will change you from the inside out. Faith, hope, and love. These are the evidences of the regeneration work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is what gives proof that you have been born again. They completely reorient your life and give you new direction. As we learn to think like Jesus, and act like Jesus, and become like Jesus, we can measure our spiritual health according to God's words, God's word. These measures of a healthy disciple are more important than you may realize, because Paul ends this text by saying, I know that you have been chosen by God and he addresses them as the church that is in God the Father and Jesus Christ. How can he say, I know that you belong to God? I thought only God could know the hearts of people. He can say that because of the evidences of change in their life, their work of love, and their their work of faith, and their labor of love, and their steadfast hope. That's what gives proof that you belong to God. I'm going to put on the screen the three questions that I've asked during this time. And let's take just a moment to think about them. Come to the cross and examine your own life. How is the work of faith in you? How is the labor of love? How is your hope steadfast? How much of work I do each day is work that only can be done with the power of God? As we bow before the cross, ask yourself, out of love for God, how have I invested in the life of someone else this week? Jesus rose from the dead, and he'd send it into heaven, but he's coming again someday soon. So ask yourself, how am I preparing myself right now for that great face-to-face meeting with Jesus someday soon? Jesus, our Savior, how much you loved us, And now we belong to you. And Father, we want that our life would manifest the the power of God in us by the way we live and think, by the love we show to others, our neighbors, and those who are dying in sin around the world. Father, we live in firm anticipation of your coming again so lord help us each day to become more like you in love in faith in purity in hope and we pray this in jesus name amen That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.